Yo, this is David back again with another episode of the Blood and Fire Radio Podcast. This is episode number 120, which is crazy because it does not feel like it was that long ago that I was celebrating episode 100. It's flying by here. Um, Alright, well as I said, episode 120 is going to be a themed one. I did get a good uh, theme suggestion from a friend of mine. So this one is going to be the memorial episode. So this is uh, bands that have had um, some key members uh, pass away. Some of the bands, you know, uh, continued after that member passed away. And there's a few here that uh, after that member passed away, they just kind of ceased to exist. But yes, um, there's more songs than normal on this one, so we're probably going to be pushing two hours here on this episode, but it's worth it. It was really hard to whittle it down, and there really were some good uh, bands that I ended up having to kind of leave off of the list. Um, so yes, I'm sure you can email me and say, how could you not include this band or that band, but uh, I didn't want to make a three-hour episode, <laughs> so did my best here. I'm also going to try to keep some of the uh, the... In between song, you know, banter fairly brief just because there's there's more songs on the episode. I don't want to completely drag things out a ton. So let's get rolling here. This band out of Norway existed from 92 up until 2016. Um, as far as I know, they haven't officially called it quits, but they haven't really been active either. So it's kind of up in the air. Uh, that band is Urgahal. And Urgahal is one that I actually was fortunate enough to see... Uh, live in 2011 in Norway at uh, Inferno Festival. They played the downstairs uh, stage, the John D stage, and it was packed, and it was hot, and it was really loud. It was a really loud show and a really intense performance, and it was excellent. And I ended up with uh, the drummer's drumstick that night, not because I caught it, because I never catch drumsticks ever, but uh, a friend of mine who I met there pretty much... Um, him and his wife, they were celebrating their honeymoon at the Inferno Festival, but he actually caught the stick, and uh, knowing that I was a drummer, he just gave me the stick. <laughs> so I still have it to this day, which is pretty cool. But, um, yes, they play some very no-frills, very intense, straight-up Norwegian black metal, and it's excellent. It's always been good. So I'm going to play something off of their 2006 album called Goatcraft Torment that came out through Agonia Records. It's their fifth album out of seven, that seventh album is actually uh, released kind of posthumously uh, because their singer and guitar player, he basically disappeared one day. Um, he said he was going out to his family's um, cabin that they had out in the forest somewhere on some land that they owned, and he just kind of didn't come back. So when people kind of couldn't get in touch with him, um, somebody, I don't know if they called authorities or if it was a friend or something that went out there to that cabin to try to find him and they found that he had taken his own life. So, um, yeah, that's where the band kind of ceased to exist from that point on, but they still had some songs, uh, recorded or at least some demos recorded that they ended up re-recording in a studio, uh, for a full length and they had a slew of guest vocalists uh, sing on the songs, which is really cool. I can't remember the name of the record. I meant to uh, to look it up again before uh, recording here, but 
Um, yeah, that seventh album is, is just that. So it's still an Urgahal album, but just has all kinds of different vocalists um, filling in. And there's some really excellent songs on there. It's a pretty good send-off, I would say. So, But this one is just perfect for opening the episode. So here we go off of the 2006 album Goatcraft Torment. This is Urgahal with Goatcraft Torment. This is satanic black metal!
Alright, that was Urgahal with Goatcraft Torment. Um, Alright, let's move it along here. Like I said, I don't want to take too much time in between songs here, so we're going to the USA out of Pennsylvania these days. It was out of New Jersey originally, and then um, moved to Ohio, kind of out of the Cleveland area. And uh, now I believe they're somewhere in like central Pennsylvania. That band is Incantation. They've been around since 89. Still going strong. Still excellent. But yeah, they've had a few members pass over the years, and they all kind of seem to be bass players, unfortunately. But, um, you know, they, they've had their original bass player, who was only in the band for about a year. He passed away sometime in the mid-90s, uh, after he was already well out of the band. Um, they had another bass player who was in the band from 1990 to 92. His name's Ronnie Dio, not Ronnie James Dio, of course. But uh, he just passed away this past year, I think, just a few months ago. I remember seeing something that he had passed. I'm not sure how. Um, but the one that comes to mind that made me include them on on this uh, episode was uh, Joe Lombard. And Joe Lombard was their bass player from 01 to 06, and he was on three or four albums of theirs. And uh, really solid bass player for them they've had a lot of turnover over the years and uh that five-year stretch that he was in the band he was uh, a very kind of noticeable guy on stage he played a really awesome looking bc rich bass that was all pointy and like i think it was red the one that he played more often than not but uh blonde hair and everything and and uh, he just kind of stood out i don't know he he suited the band really well with his playing as well um, but he passed away uh, by way of suicide, I believe, in 2012, so that was pretty pretty sad at the time. But they've carried on, of course. They've, uh, they've had a slew of musicians in and out of the band over the years. So yeah, there's several, several bass players uh, on the RIP list here for Incantation, but I'm going to play something off of an album on which uh, Joe Lombard played bass. The album in question here is called Decimate Christendom, and that came out in 2004 through Listenable Records. It's their seventh album out of 12 now they're up to. Uh, but this was the first album um, where John McKenty took over vocal duties. Um, they kind of had, I think they had Vincent Crowley from uh, from um, Acheron fill in for live vocals for a tour uh, and there was talks of him joining the band, but he ultimately didn't do it. So then John just said, screw this. I'm sick of having vocalists coming in and out, so I'm just going to do it myself. And he's been doing it ever since, and he's just gotten better and better. But this was his first go at uh, doing vocals and guitar, and it's a great record. Um, so here we go. Off of Decimate Christendom, this is Incantation with Dying Divinity.
All right, there we have it. That was Incantation with Dying Divinity. All right, we're jumping back to Norway here for the next couple. This band is out of Bergen, been around since 92. Excellent black metal band that is Gorgoroth. And, uh, well, they were an excellent black metal band. They've kind of fallen off uh, with the last couple of records, I would say. But um, their early work is some pretty uh, excellent examples of Norwegian black metal. Um, I'm going to play something off of the third record, Under the Sign of Hell. It came out in October of 97 through Malicious Records, and that was their third album uh, out of nine, I believe they're up to now. Um, they actually re-recorded this album in 2011, and it sucks. Man, does it suck. Um, the production is too clear, the drums especially, because they have Thomas Asklund as their drummer these days, and uh, he records all of his stuff at home in his basement studio, and he just kind of sound replaces everything, and um, I, it just makes the drums sound a little too perfect, and I think that's a product of uh, editing. So he's a good drummer, for sure, but I think he edits since he's in his own studio and he's the one doing the edits and the mixing. Uh, I think he makes himself sound perfect and uh, a little more perfect than natural, I would say. But yes, can't beat the original version. The production is rough as hell and it's perfect for the music. Uh, the vocals from Pest were excellent, um, but the drumming here, that's who the person in question here who has passed away from Gorgoroth uh, that I'm going to be mentioning now is Grimm. His real name was Eric, but um, this kind of is a twofer here because later on uh, I'll be playing another band that he played drums for. But uh, yes, he was basically just kind of a session guy. I don't think he was really like a permanent member playing live and stuff like that, but he did uh, this album and he did a phenomenal job. The drumming on this album is my favorite part of the whole record. Um, but yes, he was in the band from 95 through 96, so he was already kind of out by the time this uh, album was released. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, for the time especially, the drumming was so good. And he actually got kicked out of Immortal uh, because at the time his chops were not to a level where he could play fast enough. Um, he was just a little too slow and sloppy when he was playing in Immortal back in 93. But by this time, uh, in 96... Uh, he was he's improved greatly and uh, I saw Gorgoroth live in 2008 and they had Nick Barker uh, filling in on live drums for them and even he was kind of struggling a little with some of the songs from this album because there's some sections where there's very prolonged fast double bass and it's just hard to keep it going for that long um, so yeah I mean for the time mid 90s this was some excellent drumming here so yes, he passed away in 1999 uh, by way of suicide. Bit of a theme here, unfortunately. But um, but yes, this is one of my favorite black metal albums of all time. And uh, let's just appreciate the drumming here. So off of 1997's Under the Sign of Hell, this is Gorgoroth with Funeral Procession. <laughs>
right, there we go. That was Gorgoroth with Funeral Procession. Um, I think I've told some of my friends in the past, like, if, if anyone has ever asked me, what does black metal sound like? Like, what's a quintessential, like, black metal album I should check out? I imagine most people would probably pick Mayhem's De Mysterious Dom Satanis, but I have always felt like this album from Gorgoroth kind of captures the uh, just rawness of it all. Um, and the riffs just create a really, really nice atmosphere. So this one's kind of my go-to if somebody's just like, what's a good example of black metal? I'll just point them this direction. Uh, all right, we're staying in Norway here. This band existed from 94 to 04, but they certainly left their mark. That band is Vindir, and the members, the surviving members of this band, initially formed two separate bands. Um, one was called Core Scorpi, and the other one was called Vride. And um, over the years, some of those guys have since left Core Scorpi and have joined Vride. So basically, Vride is basically Vindir minus the singer. Um, I think the keyboard player still plays in Core Scorpi, but he's the only one, um, I think, that's left from Vindir that is in Core Scorpi. But anyways, uh, they, they ceased to exist in 04 because their singer, Valfar, uh, passed away by getting caught in a snowstorm, which is a hell of a way to go. Um, his family, they all lived on the same land, uh, but they had their own homes kind of just, you know, a couple miles apart from each other. So it's, you know, not a, they're not right next door, but it's, you know, still a fairly manageable just distance to walk. Uh, so he, I believe, was coming back from his either parents or brother's house. Um, he had spent some time there. There was a snowstorm coming. And he said, well, I better get out of here and get home. So he left the house to walk back to his home and kind of got caught. The blizzard came uh, before he was able to get home. And then uh, the following day, whenever nobody could find him or get a hold of him, uh, that's when they kind of had to go searching and they found him dead in the snow, pretty much. So that's a hell of a way to go. But um, they actually did one last kind of tribute concert. Uh, with his brother doing vocals, and his brother was like a freaking massive bodybuilder. Like, he he looked huge on the stage. And he's not as good of a vocalist, of course, as, as his brother was, but that's beside the point. It was meant to just kind of uh, be a, a tribute, you know, a send-off for the band. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I think that footage is out there on uh, on YouTube for that little DVD that they did, which I believe they did at the Rockefeller in Oslo, which is where they hold the Inferno Festival. I've been there uh, several times. Um, but yes, what what I consider to be their best album is the third album. They had four total. So I'm going to play something off of that album. The album's called 1184, and it came out in 2001 through Head Not Found Records. And yeah, this one just to me has the best production and the best songs on it. So vocals always sounded good on every record, but uh, I think the songs are just better on this album. So here we go, off of the third album, 1184. This is Vindir with Black New Age. <laughs>
Alright, that was Vindir from Norway with Black New Age. Alright, we're going back to the USA here out of Florida and then California and then back to Florida. Mostly known for being from Florida. The band is Death and they existed from 84 to 2001. Of course, I probably don't even need to mention who passed away in this band because that would be Chuck. The mastermind behind the whole thing passed away in late 2001 uh, from his cancer. He had um, a kind of a rare and hard to treat um, brain tumor. And he finally succumbed to that in, uh, I think it was December of 2001, and the band um, didn't do anything after that. However, in recent years, they've kind of had some kind of tribute band type things. You know, they had Death to All, which is uh, features like Steve DiGiorgio and Gene Hoagland and a couple of other guys. And they kind of rotate in and out with some of the former guitar players who played in Death and things like that. Um, I'm actually going to see, as kind of a birthday gift to myself, in late July, they're doing um, a band called Left to Die, is what they're calling themselves. And it's uh, Rick Ross and Terry Butler. And then it is uh, Matt Harvey from Exhumed on vocals and rhythm guitar. And then um, Gus Rios from Gruesome, because him and Matt both play in Gruesome. So basically it's two members from Gruesome, which is basically a death tribute band anyways, as far as their style goes, uh, and then two of the guys from the old days of death. So they're going to be playing the entire Leprosy album start to finish, which is exciting because that's one of my favorite death records. Uh, and I'm actually going to play something off of that right now. Leprosy came out in August of 88, and it was their second album out of seven. Uh, that came out through Combat Records, and... Um, it was excellent. The debut was excellent. Leprosy was even better as far as the songs being memorable. The drums are kind of loud in the mix, but it doesn't matter. The mix is still cool. Uh, cover art is amazing, of course. So yeah, I'm excited to, to hear this album played in full with two of the guys who were there. Um, I was going to say two of the guys that played on the album, but of course Terry Butler uh, did not play bass on the album. He was in the band at the time, but he chickened out. He was in the studio and he was feeling the pressure and he did not play bass, so Chuck had to step up and do guitar and bass on that album. But, uh, yeah, that's that's really going to be cool. So I'm going to play the song that is the namesake for that uh, tribute band. So here we go, off of 1988's Leprosy. This is Death with Left to Die. <laughs>
great. That was Death with Left to Die off of the second album, Leprosy. Oh, such a good record. Such a good song. I'm ready for that in July. All right, we're going to Denmark here out of old Copenhagen. This band has been around a few different times. Initially, it was 81 to 85, and then they regrouped in 93 and didn't really disband. They just kind of stopped being active after uh, 1999. And then they announced in 2019 that they're back in action and they are still going right now. They actually just started playing some festivals again for the summer. That band is Merciful Fate. And, I mean, what what is there to say? They're legendary. They've influenced so many other bands and uh, their early works. The first two albums especially were very influential. Um, I love all of it. I mean, a lot of people think that after Michael Denner left the band... Uh, in 96 that it just wasn't the same after that but I still like the two records that followed which were uh, Dead Again and Nine I like those records as well so there really hasn't been a weak spot in the discography but they're working on a new album right now Uh, they're actually playing a new song at several of these festivals but it's kind of annoying to me because it's a really long song and they're like telling the crowd like this one this song's not even done yet we still have some refining to do with this, and I haven't finished the lyrics yet, but we're going to play it for you right now. And I'm like, just wait until it's done. <laughs> like, Don't play some half-assed, unfinished version of this song. Uh, so yeah, I don't know why they're forcing that into the set list right now, but it's still cool to hear something new, I guess. So uh, I'm going to play something off of the debut, which came out in 83. It's called Melissa. Uh, As I said, they've got seven records now at this point, the last one being uh, Nine, which came out in 1999. Uh, But this one came out through Roadrunner Records, and uh, the person in question who passed away in this band is actually very recent. Uh, Timmy Hansen, the bass player, um, he was supposed to be there whenever they announced in 2019 that, you know, we're back and we're going to start playing shows again and start working on new music again, and and he was supposed to be back in the fold, uh, and he hasn't played bass since 93, I think, uh, in Merciful Fate. Um, but he had cancer, so it was kind of up in the air as to whether or not he was going to beat it, and if he would be well enough to participate in this uh, reforming of the band. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, he was not, and uh, he ended up succumbing to his cancer and passing away last year I believe it was and uh, so they have since recruited uh, Joey Vera from Armored Saint and Fate's Warning uh, to play bass right now and he's an excellent candidate the reason they picked him is because he plays with his fingers and kind of has a similar style as Timmy Hansen so they felt like he'd be a good choice so yes they are forging on and it's a shame because it would have been cool to see Timmy back in the band after so long but um Anyways, here we go off of the 1983 debut Melissa. This is Merciful Fate with Black Funeral.
That was Merciful Fate from Denmark with Black Funeral. Excellent song that's been covered so many times. Um, Short and sweet, super catchy. I love it. All right, we're going to Germany here. Legendary thrash band. Been around since 81. That band is Sodom. And I'm going to play something off of the second album of theirs called Persecution Mania. Came out in 1987 through Steam Hammer Records. They're up to 16 records now, which is freaking nuts. Um, but yes, the person who passed away in this band would be the uh, the original drummer, Chris Witchhunter. He was in the band from 82 to 92, and uh, he played all the way through the album Tapping the Vein, which is actually my favorite Sodom record. Um, and he was like a little bit sloppy on the early stuff, and then by the time they got to Tapping the Vein, he was a lot more precise. He was great. Um, and then he was out of the band and kind of out of the scene in general for a long time. Um, they invited him back in 2007 to re-record their first album, um, which was In the Sign of Evil, I believe it's called. But they they re-recorded it and called it like the final sign of evil. So they re-recorded the album exactly how it was. I think they even re-recorded like an album or an al- a song off of one of their demos that was not part of the album. It was just kind of tacked on as an extra. But um, by that point, his his you know he hadn't drummed much <laughs> in a long time, and uh, his health wasn't great. So the drumming on the re-recording was really not very good, um, and he ended up passing away. I want to say the following year, 2008, I want to say it was, and he passed, um, of liver failure. He was only 42. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it was just kind of a lifetime of, of drinking or if it was, you know, genetics playing a role, but, uh, yeah, it's sad to, you know, have somebody pass that young, but, um, but yeah, so that ended up being kind of his final recording with the band was that re-recording of the debut. Um, but yeah, the debut, both the original and the re-recording are pretty sloppy, but by this album, the second album, uh, things were tightening up and they were definitely sounded more professional, more legit. So yes, this is a good representation of his early work. So here we go, off of 1987's Persecution Mania, this is Sodom with Outbreak of Evil. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
All right, there we go. That was Sodom from Germany with Outbreak of Evil. That song's actually been recorded a few times. I think that's kind of from their demo days. And then they uh, they re-recorded it for uh, for this album. I like this version better. It's a little more polished, a little more listenable. Uh, all right, we're going to the USA here again out of Detroit, Michigan. This band formed in 01, and uh, it's kind of up in the air as to whether or not they're going to continue. This is a very recent... Um, loss. Uh, the band is Black Dahlia Murder, and they recently lost their singer, Trevor, who's been there from day one. He's been their singer. Uh, he recently uh, committed suicide. Um, I hadn't really he- paid much attention to Black Dahlia Murder in recent years. Um, I did see a news story like a couple months ago about Trevor, the singer, and his girlfriend starting an OnlyFans page, and I was like, ugh, <laughs> no offense to them, but I, I can't imagine uh, paying money to see that. But um, but yeah, that was kind of the first I had heard of him in a long time. Uh, my only real lasting memory of him is um, on the Cannibal Corpse uh, documentary about their history, the really long, really well done documentary about their history on the Centuries of Torment DVD. But he was uh, kind of uh, chiming in with comments and things like throughout. They were kind of had different people from different bands um, chiming in about their thoughts on on Cannibal Corpse and stuff. And he seemed like a real funny guy, a real character. Um, But yeah, I was never much of a Black Dahlia Murder fan. Um, They were certainly talented, I could tell. But I don't know, it just didn't click with me. It just wasn't my thing. But I know that they had a huge impact on a lot of my friends and even some of my bandmates, you know, in their in their youth, when they were kind of first getting into more extreme uh, metal, they were listening to Black Dahlia Murder. So it kind of uh, hit them harder than it hit me, I would say. But it's still uh, still a hell of a loss for sure. But they they haven't really announced if they're going to continue on. I can't imagine they will. Um, but yeah, I'm going to play something off of the debut, which is really the only one that I've really heard much of from start to finish. You know, whenever it first came out i remember checking it out and thinking it was okay but it just wasn't my bag you know but the debut is called unhollowed and that came out in 03 through metal blade records uh they ended up having nine albums total um but yeah this is just aggressive and great guitar work and uh, his vocal style wasn't really my thing but um as far as that style goes he's considered to be uh one of the good ones there so Here we go, off of the debut, Unhollowed. This is Black Dahlia Murder with Funeral Thirst.
Alright, that was Black Dahlia Murder with Funeral Thirst. We're going back to Bergen, Norway here. The band is Borknagar, and they've been around since 94. So I mentioned, you know, with the Gorgoroth one, with Eric uh, Grimm, the drummer, um, committing suicide in 1999. Of course, he was only in Gorgoroth for about a year, year and a half. Uh, mostly just doing session work for that Under the Sign of Hell album. But uh, Borknagar, he was a full-fledged member from the get-go. He played on the debut. He played on the first three albums. And uh, he was in the band up until uh, his passing in 1999. So it definitely was more of a of a real shock and a big hit to them. Uh, it affected them a lot. Um, I'm going to play something off of the second album. The first album I love, but it has a super raw... Uh, production. I decided to play something from the second album because it's slightly more polished. The songs are less intense and fast, but honestly, that was uh, there's still fast songs on here and fast moments on this album, but um, but it's a little more dynamic, I would say. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the mo of Eric was that he liked to play fast and aggressive, and uh, that was just his style. So he thrived in that uh, that regard, especially on the third album. Um, the archaic course, uh, a lot of fast double bass work and stuff on that album, really good stuff. I'm going to play something off of the second album called The Olden Domain, came out in 1997. Uh, it's their second out of 11, they're up to now, but that came out through Century Media Records. And uh, as I said, a lot of diversity on this one. They still had Garm on vocals uh, at the time. He sang from the first two records, uh, and then of course uh, Simon Vortex took over vocals on... Uh, on the next album, The Archaic Course. But uh, yeah, just excellent drumming, and he was a really vital part of their sound for those first three albums, for sure. And uh, the drummer that followed him, Asgir Mikkelsen, uh, had a wildly different style. He still was good for the band for where they were going, more progressive territories and stuff, but uh, for me, I'm, a, I'm an Eric fan. I'm a Grimm fan. So here we go. Off of the Olden Domain, this is Borknagar with Grimland Domain.
Alright, that was Borknagar with Grimland Domain off of their second album. Really good drumming, man. Really good drumming. Uh, it's I, I listened to his stuff with Gorgoroth and with Borknagar, and I'm just like, man, how did Immortal kick him out? <laughs> like, I get it that he wasn't as good at the time in 93 when they did kick him out, but uh, I feel like they kind of missed out a little bit. Although, Horg, their current drummer who's been in the band since 96... Um, is like one of my favorite drummers of all time. Um, so they definitely still struck gold with that guy later on in, the, in their career. All right, we're going to the USA once again. This band existed initially from 83 to 95, and then they took a little break, and then they regrouped in 98, and then they took another little break in like 2012 or something like that for about a year, and then they regrouped again, and they're still going now, although... I don't really know if they are or not, but that band is Metal Church, and uh, they've kind of called it quits a few times, and then they kind of get the itch again and and regroup. Um, But the person who passed away in this band, there's really a few. Like the the singer, original singer, David Wayne, uh, he sang on the first two albums, and then he left. And then he came back in 98, and they released an album in 99 called Masterpiece, and he sang on that one, and then he died from... It wasn't from a car accident, but a car accident was the cause. Let me explain that. So, like, he got in an accident, and I believe he had some injuries that he did not treat. They were minor injuries that he did not get treated. And then he ended up getting gangrene, I think, and died of, of like, sepsis because it just became so infectious in his body that they couldn't get the infection under control and he passed away. So it's a real shame because that's you know, preventable if he had just kind of gotten the treatment he needed. Um, But the more recent and equally as heartbreaking um, person who passed away in Metal Church is Mike Howe. So Mike Howe was the vocalist who replaced David Wayne after he left uh, the first time in the 80s. And he was there for, oh, I can't remember if he was there for three or four albums. I think it was three albums uh, before he... Well, he didn't quit. The band ceased to exist in 95. So he was there during that time from late 80s through the uh, the early 90s there. Excellent vocalist. Uh, he still kind of had that David Wayne rasp to it, you know, kind of a throaty vibe. And um, But he's definitely had a different voice and a little more range. Uh, great voice. And then after years and years away from the band, like they had reformed and they had done a few albums with a different vocalist who was good. But then they got Mike Howe back, and uh, after a very long absence, and I mean, this might have been 2015 or something when he rejoined, and um, they released an album that was outstanding. Like, the songs were so great, fit right in with the 80s and early 90s, you know, stuff that they were putting out. Uh, The songs were great, but Mike Howe's voice had not aged a day. And they put out two albums with as, after he rejoined, and he sounded phenomenal. And uh, they were really kind of flying high with kind of a resurgence of popularity uh, since he had rejoined, and uh, things were going really well. But evidently, I don't know if it was pandemic-related and just them not really doing anything, but he started to experience uh, some pretty deep depression, and uh, I guess he was on medication for that according to the band at least they're kind of blaming the doctors here because he was on medication for depression and I guess it was making it worse or he was beginning to have suicidal thoughts 
uh, which can sometimes be a side effect of these medications. And so he told his doctor, and I guess the doctor told him to just stay the course um, and and power through, and that the, that'll go away. He just needs to adjust to the medication and this type of stuff. And uh, he did not adjust to the medication and uh, ultimately uh, hung himself, I believe. Which is very, very sad, and the band feels like it was totally preventable if his doctor had just listened to his concerns and maybe switched him to a different medication or something. So yes, that's that's a real shame, and uh, I really don't know if they're going to continue now that he's gone, but uh, time will tell, I guess. So, I hope you guys don't mind um, that I say how these people pass away. Um, I'm always curious about that, and... Bands will often just kind of announce that so-and-so has passed and please respect the privacy of them and their family and all that kind of stuff. But I'm kind of, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Because when it comes to celebrities and musicians and things like that, when you're kind of out there in the public eye and then something like that happens and you have like this legion of fans out there that's all just up in arms about like what the hell happened, I kind of wish that they would tell us like I don't feel like we have a right to know that's too presumptuous but I just wish they would tell us you know what I mean like I don't I don't feel like I deserve that like you know we have a right to know what happened but um, I always wish that they would just explain a little bit um, so yeah I tend to try to kind of dig and find out what happened um, which feels a little morbid sometimes but I'm just I'm just curious especially these people that pass in their 30s or 40s it's like that doesn't just happen out of nowhere so what the hell was the cause you know uh but yes I'm gonna play something off of the fourth album here it's called the human factor it came out in 1991 this was through uh, epic records which is like a Sony they were partnered with Sony in some way so this was like a big deal that they were putting out a, a record on this label uh, they finally kind of reached their peak popularity. Um, so this was like a big record for them. Um, great vocals, of course. Great songs. I still tend to like the songs from the first two albums better, but I like the vocals better on these albums that Mike Howe uh, participated on. So this is a good one. This is probably my favorite one off of The Human Factor. So here we go off of their 1991 album, The Human Factor. This is Metal Church with Flea from Reality.
There we go. That was Metal Church with Flea from Reality. What a voice. Excellent voice. Just toeing the line between that kind of grittiness, that rasp, and having excellent range, and just a really identifiable voice. And I'm telling you, if you haven't heard their last two albums, uh, When My Cow Came Back, check them out, even if it's just a song or two, um, and you'll see that his voice did not age at all. It's amazing. Um, all right, we're staying in the USA here for the next couple. This band is uh, out of Los Angeles, California. Just retired in 2019, but they first formed in 81. That band is Slayer. And, um, I mean, what what is there to say about Slayer? One of the big four, you know. Legends. I'm playing something off the debut, Show No Mercy, from 83. Came out through Metal Blade Records. It's their debut out of 11 records is what they finished with. Um, but I'm going to play a song that was written by the guitar player Jeff Haneman, uh, because, of course, he is the one that passed away from Slayer. Uh, really strange events that led to him kind of being out of the band and then passing away. Uh, I'm sure most people are pretty aware of it, with Slayer being as big of a band as they are, but he got bitten by a spider, like a brown recluse. And sometimes when you get bitten by a brown recluse, the bite can turn into like a... Um, like a lesion, like an open abscess, basically, uh, just because of the venom. And that's kind of what happened with him, and he contracted uh, the, I think it's called necrotizing fasciitis or whatever, but it's it's flesh-eating bacteria, basically. Um, I mean, I've heard of people getting staph infections from spider bites and things like that, but he contracted flesh-eating bacteria, and it took ser- several surgeries and removing just chunks of flesh, basically, around his, uh, I believe it was kind of in his tricep area, where he got bit on his right arm. And uh, so they had to remove parts of his arm um, and skin grafting and things like that. And it took a while to get that under control. And uh, he was really, from what I understood, trying to kind of get his arm under control to be able to resume playing, but during that entire time that he was battling that, he had to sit out of all these tours, and that's when they got Gary Holt um, from Exodus to fill in, who I think did an excellent job, but they always had the expectation that Jeff would be back, and uh, he just was not able to get the strength back in his arm to be able to to play, because that's pretty demanding guitar work, just the amount of constant speed picking uh it it can tire the arm out in a hurry um and yeah he just didn't have the the muscle left in that arm uh to be able to do it so there was one or two times that they brought him on stage i think just to play like one song uh because he could handle that but uh, there's no way he could handle playing a full set on a full tour and stuff like that so he was just kind of home in uh in california there and um he ended up dying of liver failure and it's one of those things where you, you kind of feel guilty looking back because their drinking was so glorified much like Metallica you'd see them just uh, I think on the back of it might have been South of Heaven where they're all just holding beers and somebody's holding a six-pack you know with the plastic rings they're holding the six-pack in their hand and just that's what they were known for is pounding you know, Jaeger and Heineken's and, you know, just beer and, and Jaeger. And um, they drank a ton. And then whenever one of them passes away from liver failure, then you can't help but feel complicit <laughs> to an extent for just kind of having encouraged or accepted uh, that 
kind of alcoholic behavior for decades basically and it just caught up with him so it was sad for sure uh it was a big loss to the metal community so i'm gonna play a song that he wrote um and it's one that they still play well not now because they're retired but they kept it in the live set for their whole career pretty much they played it all the time so here we go off of 1983's show no mercy this is slayer with die by the sword Right. 
That was Slayer with Die by the Sword, one of Jeff Haneman's best. Of course, he wrote that one, and he wrote Angel of Death, which is probably the other, like, biggest one that he has written. A lot of the people that were just like, oh, they're never the same since Jeff, you know, was out of the band. They haven't been the same with Gary in the band and this and that. Um, I, I think it's a little bit revisionist history, because people look at the, the really old songs that Jeff wrote, like off of Rain and Blood, and he wrote some great ones. Um, but people also seem to kind of universally hate the uh, Diabolus and Musica album from 1998, and Jeff wrote, like, the vast majority of that album. So it's kind of like there's, there was good and bad there. So just if Jeff was still in the band in, you know, 2018, that doesn't necessarily mean Slayer's going to be cranking out Rain and Blood Part 2 or whatever, but um, but there's something about just his presence on stage. Him just being there somehow... It's like a, a security blanket. <laughs> it just made you made you remember that you're watching Slayer, I guess. But uh, having somebody else up there is just not the same. So there is something to be said for that as well, for sure. Uh, all right, staying in the USA here out of Florida. One of the original Florida death metal bands from that uh, wonderful scene in the Tampa area. This band existed from 88 to 97. And then they took a little time off. And then they've been going again since 2003. Still going. That band is Obituary, and um, I'm actually kind of excited to get the book. Um, I'm hoping to get it for my birthday there. There's a book called Turned Inside Out, which is kind of the authorized biography of Obituary, and I'm really interested to read that because they are kind of one of my favorites from that scene. And they seem to just be so cool and just love hanging out with each other and making music together. Like, they still seem to legitimately just love what they do. And they're just comfortable with where they are. And, um, yeah, they're, they're not trying to make it any bigger than they already are. They're just comfortable and having fun. And I love to see that. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to play something off of their 1994 album called World Demise that came out through Roadrunner Records. Fourth album out of ten at this point. Um, but this is where they kind of got a much more, like, uh, clear and pristine production. They had a bigger budget. They had a music video um, for the song I Don't Care on MTV that was making the rounds on like Headbangers Ball and stuff. So at this point, they had kind of made it by 94. Uh, probably their peak in popularity, I'd say. Um, the person who is no longer with us from Obituary would be Frank Watkins, and he uh, was not the original bass player. He didn't play bass on the debut album, but he joined uh, shortly thereafter. And so, yeah, he was in the band from, like, 1990 up until 20... Oh, 14, maybe? Maybe before that. It might have been 2012 when he left, but um, he was... A bit of an anomaly there because he loved being an obituary but he clearly wanted something more like he he was a big black metal fan so he'd be playing shows with obituary and he'd be wearing like a dark funeral shirt or a mayhem shirt you know he clearly just kind of had this affinity for like scandinavian black metal bands so he ultimately ended up leaving uh, obituary just on his own accord he wasn't kicked out or anything um he was friends with Infernus from Gorgoroth, and Infernus asked him if he wanted to join Gorgoroth as the bass player, and he happily did. He was all about it, so I'm sure he was very happy to be wearing bullet belts and corpse paint and stuff on stage uh, with Gorgoroth, but he participated 
on bass um, for one album. Maybe, I don't know if he played on the second one. He may have. So he may have participated in two albums with Gorgoroth. Um, but it was just weird because he seemed to like only play live with them one out of every ten shows, <laughs> you know. And that's just kind of how Gorgoroth has been in recent years anyways. It's just they have this lineup on albums and then it's like a totally different lineup of people that play shows. Um, but yeah, so he, he made the jump to black metal and he was happy about it. But uh, he ended up uh, getting cancer. I cannot recall which kind uh, he had. I want to say it was maybe like a leukemia. Um, and he was fighting it, doing the chemo and all that stuff. And, and it just... They just caught it too late, and he ended up passing away from his cancer, uh, and that was very sad. I want to say it was maybe 2014. I might be way off on that when he actually passed. I can't recall, so I'm just not going to... I'll just stop there instead of getting it way wrong. But yes, he was a vital part uh, of Obituary's history, and it's just uh, sad that he's gone. They now have Terry Butler... Uh, who's been playing bass with them for the last several years, and he's just kind of fit right in because they're all old, old friends from the Florida scene anyways. But, um, but yeah, it's sad. So here we go. Off of 1994's World Demise, this is Obituary with World Demise. Yeah! 
obituary with world demise love that record um the incomplete is my favorite cause of death seems to be the favorite for most people but uh the two that followed to me are outstanding the incomplete and then world demise as well um all right we're staying in the usa but we're going up to the old pacific northwest here out of washington the old seattle scene this is not an extreme metal band, but I don't care. I'm a fan of them, and I want to play something of theirs. The band is Alice in Chains, and they existed from 88 to 02. And uh, they didn't do anything for a few years, and then they kind of revamped the band, uh, and they came back out in 2005. And they're still going now, and they're still sounding great and releasing good stuff. Um, but Lane Staley, the singer and occasional guitar player, um, died of a heroin overdose. He, I mean, that was very prevalent in the 90s uh, in that Pacific Northwest. Um, of course, we know like Kurt Cobain and, and a lot of people in that scene um, were dealing in all that. And, um, you know, once it gets its hooks in you, you can't really get out of that very easily so um, he looked rough in some of the later years um, that he was with Alice in Chains but um, but yes very identifiable voice of course the harmonizing between him and Jerry Cantrell is like what makes the Alice in Chains sound um, and the songs were really great and catchy and they were just kind of different. There was a lot of kind of grunge stuff out there uh, in those early 90s but Alice in Chains kind of towed the line to where they were still a grungy band but they still kind of fit on metal shows and they kind of had some more a little more appreciation I think than some other grunge bands like they kind of had some appreciation from the metal crowd uh, and I think that's because they just put themselves out there on so many tours uh, with metal bands they just jumped on these tours and even though it was something kind of different than your typical metal at the time uh, it was still close enough to where they kind of got some respect, I think. But um, but yeah, as I said, the albums they've put out since Lane Staley's passing uh, with William Duvall on vocals. Uh, really, Jerry Cantrell sings lead these days, and William Duvall's just there kind of for the harmonizing support, you know. But they still sound like Alice in Chains, like fully. And um, those albums that they've put out in the 2000s have been really good. So they've put out six albums total. I'm going to play something off of the second album, Dirt, which came out in 92 through Columbia Records. Uh, this has a lot of hits on it, um, and it's kind of difficult to pick one to play. 
But um, but yeah, as I said, Lane Staley, you know, I, I didn't really document what year he passed away. But uh, the thing, the unfortunate, uh, gruesome truth when it comes to him that I remember was that it took a long time before he was found. And he passed away in his apartment, as I said, from a heroin overdose. And um, I think the estimation was that he had been in there for at least three weeks deceased before somebody finally complained of smell and uh, somebody did a welfare check and, and ended up uh, entering the apartment and he was in a pretty advanced you know state of decomposition already so it's a really sad thing you know it's a sad thing to go so young anyways but then to just kind of be just left left there by yourself for weeks on end before somebody notices you know that's pretty sad but um but yes, don't do drugs, kids. So here we go, off of the 1992 album Dirt. This is one of my favorite songs of theirs. This is Alice in Chains with Angry Chair. Yeah, angry walls. 
There we have it. That is Alice in Chains with Angry Chair. It's one of my favorite songs of theirs. Um, just love the harmonizing. Really love the harmonizing. William Duvall does a great job, but he's he still doesn't quite have Lane Staley's you know tone. It's pretty hard to mimic that exactly, but he does a pretty good job. Um, and yeah, if you have not bothered checking out the more recent Alice in Chains albums, um, they're excellent. To me, my favorite of the newer ones would be uh, The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here. Uh, that one has some really, really classic-sounding songs to me. Uh, all right, we're jumping to Sweden here. This band existed from 89 to 97, and then were forced to go on hiatus from there, and then uh, regrouped in 04 and, uh, and finished in 06. That band is Dissection. So they, of course, had to take their first hiatus because the singer, John, uh, was involved in a murder, a very senseless murder, and uh, went to jail not long enough, really. I mean, that's kind of the M.O. for Scandinavia to begin with, is they believe wholeheartedly in rehabilitation, and um, so they give very light sentences. Um, so yes, he, he murdered somebody, and served seven years, and that's all. But um, came out in 2004, immediately got the band going again. Uh, they released one more album, toured like crazy, uh, played some big shows, some festivals, and then in 2006, he decided that he had achieved everything he wanted to achieve in life and wrote, wrote out a little note and shot himself in his apartment, and that was it. Like, it... it you can't even really say it's a sad thing because it was his own choice and he just kind of it wasn't even like a sad thing for him you know what I mean like it wasn't a I can't take living in this world anymore type situation it was a he, he was feeling good he felt like he did everything he wanted to do so he's like I'm out and he just checked out so that's his own that's his way that's his own choice so uh, I'm gonna play something a little different here because I've played dissection songs in, in the past on, on different episodes but um, instead of doing all studio tracks and stuff I'm going to do something live here so they released a live album called Live Legacy uh, in 1997 which I believe is a recording from their performance at Wacken that year in Germany and uh, that was released through Nuclear Blast Records I think John may have already been incarcerated actually by the time that this was released but um it's a great live record. They had a new drummer at the time whose name is uh, escaping me, but uh, this is the only uh, album, if you want to call it that, that he participated on because uh, then, of course, once John got arrested, the band just kind of ceased to exist. But uh, I think he does a great job with some of the older songs. Um, so I, most people probably aren't paying attention to the drumming, but this new drummer playing some of these older songs, I think he does an excellent job with it. So... Uh, I just like the energy of this live version. So here we go, off of 1997's Live Legacy. This is Dissection with The Somber Lane. This will be the last song for tonight. And this one is called The Somber Lane.
All right. That's Dissection from Sweden with the Somberlane live from 1997. Great performance there. All right, we're going back to the USA here out of California, out of L.A. originally, and then moving up to the Bay Area. Formed in 81 and at one point the biggest metal band in the world. Of course, that is Metallica, and uh, you know exactly who passed away in Metallica. I think everyone on Earth does. That would be Cliff Burton, who passed away uh, in Europe while they were on tour in 1986 uh, with their bus crash and him basically being crushed under the bus um it really shook the metal world at the time and um really kind of left some scars there for a lot of years after that with uh, the guys in metallica that uh, they didn't really they didn't really come to terms with uh for a long time but um he really, I mean, he had his kind of bass solo song um, on Kill 'Em All, Anesthesia, Pulling Teeth. And he was a little more involved on Ride the Lightning. But when I listen to Ride the Lightning, I don't really think of Cliff Burton that much. Uh, but he was a lot more involved in uh, Master of Puppets. So you would think I would be more inclined to, p to play something off of Master of Puppets. But I don't want to, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to play something off of Ride the Lightning, which is actually my personal favorite uh, Metallica record. And they remastered albums recently, because I remember if you rewind like a decade ago, when bands were first starting to do that, Metallica was like, nah, we're, we're not remastering or re-releasing anything. Uh, you get the original and that's it, you know. And then over time, they eventually released remastered versions of, you know, Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning and just all of them pretty much with bonus tracks and all kinds of things but um but just the sound the quality of the remaster is excellent i think the remasters sound great so yeah i'm gonna play something off of the remastered ride the lightning the album originally came out in 84 that's their second album through megaforce records and yeah i mean such good songs um you know you don't really pay too much attention to the bass other than on a song like uh, for whom the bell tolls but um but he was a big part of it i mean he participated in the songwriting on a few of these songs and um yeah he, he his style he had a style all his own he basically was a bass player that played like a guitar player he was just that damn good um and then when jason newstead came in he had a different style altogether but it worked for where the band was going musically you know but anyways, here we go. Off of the 1984 album Ride the Lightning, this is Metallica with Ride the Lightning. Thank you. 
All right, Metallica, Ride the Lightning. It's a classic. What's not to love? Um, yeah, just the guitar work and all the different changes in that song. It's uh, It just remains one of their best songs, in my opinion. And uh, I love whenever they bust it out in the, in the live set these days because they can still do a pretty good job. Although James sometimes uh, <laughs> strains a bit to hit some of those vocal lines. But I mean... These dudes are old now, man. That's what that's what happens. Uh, all right, we're going to Oslo, Norway here. A band that formed in 84 and then ceased to exist in 94 and then reformed about a year and a half later, and they've been going uh, ever since. That band is Mayhem. Um, I don't even need to go into much detail about who died in this band because there's it's been talked about to death, you know, just between dead the vocalist who blew his brains out and then uh Euronymous getting murdered by his own bandmate from Varg um I think any any fan of extreme metal has heard that story a million times and if you haven't just google it cuz you'll find a million resources to talk about this murder because it was such a a huge deal um in Scandinavia at the time but um yes I mean mayhem is is a legendary black metal band. They're one of the first to really kind of launch that second wave of black metal. Uh, Bathory, of course, you know, and Venom um, possessed even, you know, kind of kickstarting that, you know, sarcophago. Um, but yeah, Mayhem really kind of pushed it to the territory where it took off for the second wave I would say a lot of bands were heavily influenced by Mayhem's um, aesthetics and just dark subject matter and just the style of riffing that Euronymous uh, had had written for their newer songs uh, a lot of other bands kind of piggybacked off of that and it was weird because Mayhem rarely played live uh, their debut like kind of mini album Death Crush to me is not very good uh, for the time, I imagine it, it kind of blew people's minds. But other than like the title track, Death Crush, those songs are, are pretty much shit. And the production is pretty much shit. So it really wasn't until this album came out, De Mysteries Dom Satanis came out in 94, after Euronymous was already dead, um, that really just like blew people away. But uh, of course, their kind of inner circle of friends had already heard some of these songs at uh, some of those few Mayhem live shows and just from demo versions and stuff and but it took a while for the actual proper recording to get released uh, and that was their debut out of six albums now um, their debut full length that is Death Crush was not a full length but it was released in 94 through uh, Euronymous own uh, Death Like Silence Productions and yeah I mean it just kind of blew the doors open like there was already by this time there was already a couple of bands like Dark Throne um, that had released albums that were, you know, getting a lot of traction, getting a lot of notoriety. Um, like, you know, Dark Throne's Blaze in the Northern Sky is kind of considered almost like the first full album of just like true Norwegian black metal that was released. But uh, they'll, they're first to tell you that they were inspired very heavily by Mayhem and what they had heard of Mayhem's, you know, newer material and everything. And, um, so yes, it was no secret in the scene that Mayhem was kind of uh, writing some really uh, groundbreaking material here. So I'm going to play 
the title track off of this album because to me it has the coolest like mood to it um and some really interesting vocals of course i was never a big uh, fan of attila and still am not really but uh, i've grown to just kind of accept it a little more i guess (laughs) but i'm still not a huge fan of his vocals but um but yeah here we go off of the 1994 record de mysteries dom satanis this is mayhem with de mysteries dom satanis
it just cuts. That's the end of the record right there. All right, that was Mayhem with De Mysteries Dom Satanis. Yeah, that that the way that band came to an end, I think, was was so shocking to people because of just the manner of the death. Because um, you've had bands where you're like, oh, this drummer passed away in a car accident, or you know had a heart attack or whatever, but like very rarely can you say that uh, the guitar player was murdered by the bass player. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Um, all right, well, it's that time. I'm going to announce the final song of the episode. Thanks for bearing with me here because I know it's a long episode with a lot of songs, but man, it was hard to whittle this down because there's definitely some ones that I left off, like Decapitated comes to mind. Um, I mean, there's... Several other kind of more underground bands that I know I've had members pass away that I could have included. I considered including uh, Life Lover until I remembered that I hate Life Lover and I couldn't really find a song to play that I was even remotely interested in listening to. <laughs> so I know that this isn't supposed to be just like, hey, I'm going to play nothing but stuff that I love. You know, it, I'm supposed to be playing kind of, it's it's what you guys want. But uh, yeah, I just couldn't uh, put Life Lover on the list. Uh, while excluding some others, you know. But yeah, it was tough. So, hope you enjoyed it, though. Um, it's a little bit of a bleak episode with all this death, but uh, it was a really cool concept uh, for this theme. So, thank you for uh, for providing me with this theme to do, because it was uh, definitely an interesting one. And um, I'm going to finish strong here. I'm going to finish strong with a real legend. But first, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for telling other people about the podcast. Uh, if you want to tell someone where they can listen, they can listen online at bloodandfireradio.podbean.com uh, on the free Podbean app as well. Or they can uh, listen to the full catalog of episodes on Spotify as well. So find the uh, podcast and follow it there. Any sort of feedback or requests or anything like that, you can email me at bloodandfireradio at gmail.com. And, of course, please find and like the Facebook page because any sort of, like, news or updates regarding future episodes or poll questions for you guys, the listeners, it's all going to be posted there. So please find the Facebook page and like it so you can see all of that. Um, got another theme in mind, but I'm probably going to wait a few more episodes. I might do maybe three, three like normal episodes, and maybe for episode like 124 or something, I'll bust the theme out again. I don't want to overdo it with the themes. Um, but yes, thank you very much for listening, guys. I should be back. I actually recorded this episode early because I have a show tomorrow night with Krigsgrove. It's our first live show in over five years. Uh, so we're we're really looking forward to that. We finally get to play some of the songs off of our uh, most recent record live, so that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. That's the plan, at least. So yeah, I recorded this early, but I should still be able to post it on time on Sunday, and then the next episode should be on time as well here in a couple of weeks. So till then, happy Father's Day to all the all the dads out there. Happy Juneteenth. And, yeah, I'll see you guys in two weeks. So here we go. We're going to Sweden. Band existed from 83 to 04. Legends. Absolute legends. The band is Bathory. And I'm going to play something off of... I mean, most people play things off of albums like Hammerheart or uh, Twilight of the Gods. I'm playing something off of Nordland 1 because I love the Nordland records. Bathory really lost their way musically through the 90s. 
um, kind of trying to go back to a thrash sound and it just was not very good. And by the time they, they did these Nordland albums in 2002 and 2003, uh, he had gone back to a more epic like Viking metal sound. And I think these records are outstanding. I think they're equally as good as Hammerheart and Twilight of the Gods. Um, so yeah, Nordland 1 is, is one that I listen to uh, with some regularity even now. Um, but there's one song that to me feels like, you know, if somebody played this at my funeral or something, I, I would, I'd be happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? This just kind of has like a memorial vibe to it. Like if, if I just picture somebody singing this at a, at a eulogy or something, and uh, it's just a beautiful song and it's a real change of pace on the album. So this is not a heavy song, but it just feels like a good send off, a good way to end this thing. So... Quarthon, of course, the main man from Bathory, uh, passed away in 2004 of uh, heart failure because I believe he had some sort of a heart uh, defect that he was unaware of, and um, it was only discovered after he had already passed that that was what happened. But way too young, and it was a huge loss because, you know, as I said, Bathory was just very influential to so many bands and continues to be. Um, so yes, I, I still listen to his albums and uh, and look back on them fondly for when I first heard them back in high school. And uh, yeah, he's a legend and it's, uh, it's deserving in my opinion. So here we go, off of 2002's Nordland 1, this is Bathory with Ring of Gold. Cheers everyone. Say, where the river fly on black wings fly. 
will be 